Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 23 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, I address the following topics. First, some information regarding the upcoming Assumption Fast, a fasting period that is not widely discussed or practiced, but one of which I've written about before, which I personally observe and which I would highly encourage you to pick up as we prepare for the feast day of Our Lady's Assumption in August. And secondly, I address some upcoming feast days this week, including the interesting traditions around St. James the Apostle, his apparitions in Spain, as well as the fact that the vigil of St. James should be treated as a day of fasting and preparation. But before I begin, let me stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by CatechismClass.com. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, offering everything from online children's K-12 through programs, RCIA classes, adult continuing education for those really wanting to delve into the church's traditions and learn more than they were raised in, everything from marriage preparation, godparent and parent baptism preparation, quinceanera prep, confirmation prep, catechist training, and so much more. It is never too late to study the fullness of the Catholic faith, and catechismclass.com is the gold standard in authentic Catholic formation online. So please, check them out today, catechismclass.com. Now, for the first topic of today's episode, I would really like to give a preview and an encouragement to everybody to observe the upcoming feast days um, coming up this week, as well as preparing for the great feast day of Our Lady's Assumption in August. Now, Assumption Day, August 15th, is a holy day of obligation. And while we don't often think about it, there was a traditional period of fasting leading up to Our Lady's Assumption because of how great a feast day it was. Unfortunately, that's not discussed about anymore. Now, while the Church's history of fasting illustrates a continual and rapid decline in penance and fasting, as I've written about in my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, thankfully there are still some remnants that keep this and some of the other uh, really forgotten fasting periods. So, for instance, the Byzantine Catholic Church is still one that would encourage rather than mandate this fasting period. In fact, some of these other Eastern Catholic rites will observe things, in addition to, of course, Great Lent, the Apostles' Fast they'll observe in June, the Nativity Fast, that is basically another Lent leading up to Christmas, as well as this fasting period called the Assumption Fast. Together, these four serve as, you know, the greatest and the largest fast in the Church. It's also, of course, Ember Days, uh, even though they're not observed in the East, they've been observed in the West since ancient times. There's also the vigil of different feast days of, of importance that have always been observed as fasting days. But if you talk about fasting periods, these are kind of the four major ones. Great Lent, which we just call usually as Lent, the Apostles' Fast, the Nativity Fast, and the Assumption Fast. Now, like the Apostles' Fast and the Nativity Fast, the Assumption Fast 
can certainly be kept by Roman Catholics as well, as an additional penance to fulfill Our Lady of Fatima's request for penance. Now, this is also referred to as the Dormition Fast, since the Assumption of Our Lady is known as the Dormition by Eastern Catholics, as well as the Orthodox. Uh, This is basically, though, a two-week fasting period. So this period begins on August 1st, and it lasts until the beginning of Assumption Day on August 15th. It is a day in which, um, a period in which, there will be fasting and really absence, because traditionally, if it was a fasting day, it was always a day of absence. That continued for centuries, really until the 18th century. Um, but this period is a fasting and absence every day except Sundays, basically. Now, the Eastern churches observe it a little differently. For instance, a book written in 1922 by a priest on the traditional Byzantine fast notes this as, quote, a difficult Lent permitting only olives and vegetables cooked in water. Oil is tolerated on Saturdays and Sundays, end quote. Because the Eastern Church has always emphasized during these fasting periods different foods that can and can't be had, whether it be wine, whether that be oil. And the West never really took that as strict interpretation and such. But the point is, it is a period of which we should be preparing for the great feast of Our Lady's Assumption. It's something I encourage everybody to do. If you, if you go to uh, 1peter5.com backslash fast... You can find out more about the fellowship I run that I've talked about before, the Fellowship of St. Nicholas, encouraging people to adopt traditional fasts. And we are going to be observing this one as a means to prepare for Our Lady's Assumption and to continue offering more penance for our priests, for our church, for our world. In fact, while this two-week fasting period has never been obligatory for Roman Catholics, the Vigil of the Assumption on August 14th, though, was observed as a fasting day for centuries by the Roman Church. In fact, it remained a fasting day in most places up through the middle of the 20th century. Now, the Catholic Encyclopedia around the time of St. Pius X in the early 1900s mentions that in the United States, only four vigils are kept as fasting days, the Vigil of Christmas, of Pentecost, of the Assumption, and of all saints. Now, this did change on July 25th, uh, 1957, when Pope Pius XII commuted the fast in the Universal Church from the Vigil of the Assumption to the Vigil of the Immaculate Conception on December 7th. Strange, though, because he previously abrogated the Mass for the Vigil of the Immaculate Conception. The Vigil of the Assumption, though, can, of course, though, still be observed as a fasting day by the faithful, even though it has not been listed as an obligatory fasting day since 1957. Um, Now, for practical purposes, though, the Assumption Fast is a fasting period by which all Catholics, Eastern or Roman, can observe. I encourage Roman Catholics to observe this period by fasting from August 1st through the end of August 14th, except for Sundays. Since the Roman Catholic tradition does not have limitations regarding vegetables and oil like those kept in a strict traditional Byzantine fast, I instead encourage people to do the following, and I am personally going to do so as well. One, fast, that is eat only one full meal on all weekdays, including Saturdays, from August 1st through August 14th, inclusive. Two, a frustulum, that is a morning snack, and a collation, that is an evening snack, are permitted. Together, they may not add up to more than the size of a normal-sized meal. Three, abstain from all meat on all fasting days. 
since fasting days were by definition days of absence for centuries up until the time of Pope Pius, sorry, of Pope Benedict XIV in the mid 1700s, it is fitting that these days should be uh, treated as days of full absence if they're also fasting days. And four, eggs and dairy products are permitted. They are only traditionally prohibited during the Lenten fast. I'll have a link in the show notes to more information on the Assumption Fast. And it does not yet start this week, but I want people to start thinking about it, preparing about it, talking to your families about it, making plans to not go out to lunch these two weeks, you know, to have one meal in the evening and to really observe this final period, even though we're in summer and people have so many fun activities and vacations, it's important that we pause and render to God what he is due, our homage, our adoration, and our penance, and we can more worthily celebrate Our Lady's Assumption as a result. Now, the second topic I'd like to cover this week, as I'm accustomed to do, is provide a little bit of a brief overview of some of the upcoming feast days this week. Now, Monday, July 24th, is traditionally the vigil of St. James uh, the Greater. Unfortunately, like Almost all the other vigils, it was dropped and is not in the 1962 Missal, but I do encourage people to still keep it and to fast and abstain on that. So we just talked about fasting, abstaining for the Assumption Fast. I would highly encourage everybody to fast and abstain on Monday in honor of St. James and especially for his patronage to continue to drive out of the church, drive out of Europe, drive out of Spain, all the forces which afflict the church and attack are really from um, the heirs of Islam still. Uh, in addition, July 25th is the actual feast day of St. James the Greater, and it also features a commemoration of St. Christopher. Unfortunately, St. Christopher is so forgotten nowadays, he is still invoked as um, one of the 14 holy helpers. He's the patron of travelers, especially motorists, and he's often invoked in storms and tempests. But unfortunately, he was kind of removed from the calendar, and there was some sort of a debate if he actually existed or not. Um, it is really um, unfortunate that so many people have lost devotion to St. Christopher, and so many of the other saints just removed from the calendar. Um, if we look further in the week, you'll you'll see some names on the traditional list, of even in the 1962 Missal, of the, of the saints commemorating the liturgy. And if you're new to the traditional Latin Mass, Many of these saints are entirely new to you because they're no longer talked about and they're dropped from public worship. And it's really a shame because so many of these saints have been honored and venerated by our forefathers for centuries. July 26th is the feast day of St. Anne. That is the grandmother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the mother of the Blessed Virgin Mary. A great day for us to visit our grandparents if they're still alive, to at least call them. It's a great day for us to pray uh, if we are grandparents for our grandchildren and to invoke St. Anne's patronage. St. Anne used to be a holy day of obligation in some places. Actually, definitely in Quebec for a long time, her day was a holy day of obligation there. Um, she is not just... Uh, an average saint, you might say. There was a great devotion to her in some places for her patronage. July 27th is the Feast of St. Pantaleon. That's one of those saints who, if you mention the name, people won't really know who he is. He's numbered in the West among the late medieval 14 holy helpers. So like St. Christopher, one of the 14 holy helpers. And in the East, he's considered one of the holy unmercenary healers. He was a martyr in Nicomedia, uh, during the Diocletian persecutions, and he died around the year 303. And other saints later this week include Nazareth and, and Celsus on July 28th. That would be this coming Friday. And July 29th is the Feast of St. Martha. 
Um, St. Martha, of course, we remember her from the Gospel stories. Um, she was the Virgin. She was the sister of St. Uh, Mary Bethany, that is St. Mary Magdalene, the sister of Lazarus. And then uh, we read of three visits uh, to St. Uh, St. Martha in the Gospels. For instance, the 10th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter of St. John, as well as she's mentioned in the 12th chapter, according to the Gospel of St. John. Uh, I'll have links in the show notes to more information about all these saints, because I can't cover, as I try to keep these episodes roughly 15-ish minutes, can't go into detail here, but again, please read the show notes, continue to live the liturgical life, spend some time understanding, and especially like St. Martha, instance, everybody knows about her story uh, in um, in the Gospels, if, you, if you're a practicing Catholic, of course, but you might not know much about her afterwards, so... That's something that that's really interesting. So, for, for instance, according to a legend, after our Lord's ascension into heaven, Martha and her brother and her sister, uh, Marcella, her handmaid, and Maximin, one of the 72 disciples of our Lord, and other Christians were placed in a boat without sails or oars. They were left for dead. But God guided the boat to Marseilles, and it was their preaching and the miracles that they were able to work through the power of God that converted many of the people of Marseilles and that area to believe in our Lord. And St. Lazarus was made a bishop of Marseilles. Uh, St. Martha withdrew from the group along with several holy women, and they lived in a remote area without men in a spirit of purity. St. Martha foretold her own death in the year 80 AD before it even occurred, and her body is still known and venerated today. Um, again, things like this are not often talked about or mentioned. So in the show notes, please spend some time reading more about the lives of the saints every day with your, with your family. But the last thing I just want to mention regarding the lives of the saints is really the extraordinary example of St. James. Uh, St. James the Greater uh, is not um, just known as an apostle. Now, Catholics know that... Um, he, of course, was one of our Lord's um, apostles. But what we don't often know about is the very influential um, role he had in the Reconquista, that is the reconquest of Spain, when much of Spain was under Islamic rule. Now, in the year seven, 711, there was a general from the Islamic Moors uh, who sought to descend and conquer most of Iberia. Fortunately, the Islamic force was hard, halted by Charles Martel and his army at the Battle of Tours in the year 732. Yet most of Spain was still under foreign rule, under Islamic rule, especially in the south, of course. And according to legend, Charlemagne was recruited to remedy that situation. So this is a short story told in a book that I'll have linked to in the show notes. And it said, quote, Charlemagne saw a path of stars in the sky, beginning in the Frisian Sea and extending through Germany and Italy, Gaul and the Aquain, passing directly over Gascony, Vesconia, and Spain to Galencia, where the body of St. James lay buried and undiscovered. Looking upon this stellar path several times every night, he began to meditate its meaning. A knight of splendid appearance, more handsome than words can describe, appeared to Charlemagne one evening in a vision as he sat in deep meditation. What are you doing, my son? the knight asked. To which the king responded, Who are you, sir? He said, I am St. James the Apostle, disciple of Christ, and whose body lies forgotten in Galicia, a place still shamefully oppressed by the Saracens. 
I am deeply disturbed by the fact that you who have conquered so many cities and nations have not liberated my lands from the Saracens. The path of stars that you have contemplated in the sky is the sign indicating that you must take a great army from here to Galicia to do battle with those perfidious pagans to free my path and my lands and to visit my basilica and my tomb. After you, all peoples from sea to sea will walk there as pilgrims, begging forgiveness for their sins and proclaiming the greatness of the Lord. St. <clears throat> James is referring to what eventually became the, the Camino, the pilgrimage to Compostela, Spain, really the greatest pilgrimage route, except maybe perhaps the one to the Holy Land that would ever exist. It's still in today, and it's something I hope to do, God willing, one day as well. So much more can be said about St. James, though. I'll have a link in the show notes. Truly remarkable story. He actually appeared in battle and actually helped uh, drive out the Muslims uh, in actual battle as well. So it's quite remarkable, some of these legends and stories told about him and recounted throughout the centuries. Again, please check out the links in the show notes to more information. Thank you, everybody, for listening. May God grant you all a most blessed week, and let us all strive for greater holiness this and every other week. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. We do